0: Wave pool technology is progressing at a rapid rate, and commercially surfable wave pools are opening around the world. Welcome to the Wave Pool Mag Podcast. My name is Nick Robinson, and through my guests we take a detailed look at this fascinating new game. Check us out on wavepoolmag.com for your curiosity and stoke. Welcome back to the Wavepool Mag podcast. Season two, yeah, man, we're so excited. We've had, I think it's about 12 episodes in the first season, and now we've got a whole bunch of podcasts lined up for the next one. We've pulled on some sponsors. We're getting really rolled up here. Wavepool Mag is going nuts. The Instagram is just climbing every day, and the, you know, the facts and the figures and the analytics are all pointing to the fact that you guys are really interested in wave pools, like we are. We can't wait for them to happen more and more. Now, if you've ever been to Europe, you'll know there's a country there called Germany. Come with me on a trip to Germany today, where we're speaking to a chap called Eirek, who has spent most of his life trying to get a wave pool happening in Berlin. So uh, let's take it from there and see what's going on in Berlin. It sounds like a very real prospect. And uh, we're excited to share with you Berlin's plans for the wave pool of the future. Let's just jump in here and thank our sponsors. Endless Surf brings the next generation of powerful, efficient and customizable waves to the world of inland surfing. The most versatile technology on the market today, Endless Surf allows surf parks to generate waves only when and where they are needed. The unique heart-shaped design maximizes beachfront and allows both experts and intermediates to enjoy the same session in a more natural surf setting. Backed by four decades of expertise in aquatic engineering, design management, and master planning, Whitewater's Endless Surf holds a solid reputation for mastering the thousands of details each project faces. Trust Endless Surf to power your project to commercial viability. Wavepool Mag is proud for them to support us here in the podcast, so check them out on www.endlesssurf.com. Well, good morning, Irik. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing pretty well, Nick. Thanks for the invitation and the chance to talk to you.
0: Yeah, I know. It's great to chat to you. We've seen uh, a lot of stuff online about the Berlin Wave Pool. And um, yeah, it's exciting to chat to you. So where are you right now?
1: Well, at the moment, I'm at our Berlin headquarters office, so getting some work done. So hopefully we're all going to be surfing Berlin soon.
0: Well, that'd be nice. eh? (laughs) Yeah, it would be awesome. Uh, so how long have you been working on this project for?
1: Um, well, we've been working on this project now in full time for yeah, a bit more than two years, actually. And then um, actually it's up in my head for quite a bit longer than that. But uh, considering the project itself, it's pretty solid two years full time Mm
0: -hmm. okay well let's go a little little bit further back and just establish a bit of personal context so how did surfing start for you because it's a pretty unusual thing to do in Germany or one would think
1: oh yeah that's absolutely true so I kind of like worked my way around to traditional surfing Um, my dad actually is a windsurfer so when I was six years old he for the first time just took me out and put me on a surfboard eventually with a sail attached to it but that's how I started. And then, well, that was the first connection to surfboards, and generally speaking. And then I got the chance when I was 15 years old, I participated in a school exchange to uh, flip in awesome California, like the Santa Cruz area. Wow. And yeah, that was pretty sick. And that's where I actually started traditional surfing, like I left, left away the way to sail, which I love even more and even better
0: so where was that santa cruz
1: yeah that was like the um, the um, town i was living in was called hollister so it's like in that general monterey bay area but most of the time i ended up going to 41st street in santa cruz
0: mm, sounds incredible sounds, but like hopping back to germany because germany seems to have almost built up an industry around non-ocean waves i mean the rapid surf league out of munich there's possibly a coming together of all that. Are you interested, or, or did you ever surf sheet waves or river waves?
1: Oh, yeah, I did. Um, actually, first time I surfed uh, Munich, um, the river wave, which is called Eisbach, um, it's not too long ago. It's only three years. And um, I've always went to the ocean to surf, but there's this entire like central building around surfing in that Munich um, area. So that's where German surfing was basically born, in my opinion. So that's also the reason why, for example, the Rapid Surf League, the RSL, developed out of that area. And it's it's fantastic to see how how much the surfing sport, even though it's river surfing, which might be a little bit different from ocean surfing, is developing within Germany. Um, So and then every once in a while, um, if we get desperate enough we'll just hop into the Baltic sea at 60 miles an hour onshore waves in two second periods
0: oh it sounds like paradise <laughs> <laughs>
1: it, it is Be- better than staying dry for sure
0: <laughs> excellent but um when we're talking about sheet waves obviously there's the flow rider and then there's city wave have you served both of those
1: uh, i haven't served the flow rider i served city wave because recently they just actually opened a city wave in berlin where i um, I'm hanging out quite a lot um, ever since, and yeah, I also surfed the city wave in Munich at the Jochen Schweizer Arena. So that mm-hmm. was my first. No, actually, it was not my first artificial surfing because we surfed the Wave Garden prototype before that. But yeah, I've, I've tried both technology backgrounds, like stationary surfing, and then um, yeah, surf pool surfing, basically from an artificial wave perspective.
0: Yeah, because I've surfed the Flow Rider, um, which I found completely different to surfing. It's like it was just sort of almost like skateboarding a bit more. And um, City Wave looks a whole lot better because it's deeper and you actually got fins. So I'm not sure how, how did you enjoy the, the City Wave?
1: Well, I I liked it a lot. I mean, um, being born in Germany and landlocked, you're not looking um, at many options. So everything that comes closer to the initial um, surfing. Is one one major step forward for us being landlocked so I loved it and I mean I I, I don't have the reference to compare to Flowrider, rider but um, obviously city wave it's it, it is quite uh, deep even though being shallow uh, behind the wave but um, yeah you can you can put on some proper turns there so it does feel similar to rail surfing your balance mm-hmm. is a bit is a bit different it's a bit more to the back and all that and you, you take other shapes and stuff and other boards but um, yeah, in core, it does feel like surfing.
0: So it keeps the stoke alive.
1: It definitely does.
0: <laughs> but um like you mentioned, obviously in Germany, it's quite difficult to surf. Um, is surfing tr- surfing travels like surfing trips that is that part of a, a culture in Germany? so everyone goes away to Portugal or to South Africa or wherever uh, to do some surf trips and, and have you ever done surf trips like that?
1: Yeah, I mean. Probably most of the German surfing folks, they hit off during the summers down south to France, Portugal, Spain. So that's probably the central European surfing destinations because obviously, I mean, those waves are famous all over the world and it gets pumping and very, very good down there. So that's that's where we usually end up going for more than one week uh, whenever we get the chance. And then, yeah, obviously I've done that after a couple of camper van trips during my studies to as well the south of um, Europe or other destinations. Well, I didn't take my camper van to South Africa, but I got the chance to study there for half a year. So that was probably one of the best academic semesters I've ever had in my life because South Africa, I mean, there's just a million stories I could tell you about South Africa.
0: Well, tell me when. I'd love to hear when. I mean, did you get to J-Bay?
1: Uh, I actually did uh, get to J Bay, but um, I'll, I'll start on my first day being in South Africa. So we flew into Cape Town, and then we shuttled to Stellenbosch because that's where I—that's where I studied. So um, we just dropped our bag and we straight driven back to Cape Town area to Mousenburg, which is ve- very, very, uh, very well known. And then you know, South yeah, to Africa. To surf. Oh, is it? Yeah, <laughs> that's sweet. Yeah, I love I love that beach, and it's like pretty chill longboarding wave. So it's very it's very good to like get started ever like whenever you go or go, go somewhere new. Yeah, and then um, obviously South Africa is considered to be sharky, and I was always relaxed about the entire shark issue because in in my mindset it's like all right, it's not it's not our ocean; it's the sharks' ocean. So that's the risk you gotta take whenever you want to go surf. So what happened is I went into a surf shop and got a board and paddled out. And then in Muisenberg they have those shark spotters. So they sit up in the hills and spot the surface for a potential shark risk. And whenever they see something, they just put on a siren. So what happened is I suited up, grabbed my board, paddled out there. And like literally, I don't know, 30 seconds, 45 seconds after I paddled out, the siren went off, so I was like, no "Jesus way. Christ, that's that's going to be hectic half of a year."
0: So you paddled out quickly, 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 or did you just try and make sure that you paddled out faster than somebody else so they could get eaten?
1: No, no, no. I mean the locals there—they are pretty relaxed with the situation because I mean they're used to it. But I mean, me being there the first time. I was making sure to get the hell out of there as fast as I could. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. No, it's a, it's a it's an interesting place to surf, yeah. Cause I I've surfed back there last year and um yeah, it was very different because when I grew up surfing there there weren't any shark signs. There were still sharks, but no mm-hmm. one no shark spotted, so we didn't really notice them. But uh, anyway, let's get straight into your Berlin project. So when did you first start dreaming about wave pools? And what was the spark?
1: Yeah, the spark was probably a wave pool initiative back in two thousand fourteen. That was not attached to to us at all or whatsoever. Um, there was actually a wave garden lagoon, so the the older technology planned for um, an old airfield uh, within the city center. And then, um, sadly, the city decided there's not going to be any constructioning on that surface. So that's the moment where this project died. So. That's what where I got the spark, and even though it was like super disappointing, I was like, "All right, mm, well then I got to do it myself." Uh, and excellent. yeah, and then it was early in my studies, so I was very young at the time. I mean, it's been six years ever since, and then. Uh, when WaveGarden launched a new tech, the Cove, I was like, all right, that's it. That's that's some potential right there I can see from an artificial wave perspective. So now it is the time to kick off a project for Berlin again. So that's basically 2016. That's when it all started.
0: Mm-hmm. And um, did you have any worries in the beginning about um, yourself doing it and, and being able to create such a massive project?
1: Um Well, I think in the beginning of projects like that, you don't have a very good understanding of what you're going into. eh? Um, On the other hand, I have to say, I mean, there's this typical surfing metaphor for life. I mean, when you're in doubt, paddle out, which kind of can be like linked to, to the thoughts I had back then. So I didn't know if I would actually be able to kick off a project like that. But I would definitely regret it much more for not having tried it. Uh, so maybe that's, that's a good way to put it.
0: Oh, that is a wonderful way to put it. So um, obviously a part of growing a project like this is, is building a team. Uh, how did your team members come together?
1: Yeah, that's quite a funny story because um, I studied business administration and sports science. So I did already have a toolbox um, where I could actually draw, draw knowledge from. But uh, a project like this just needs a lot more. So I uh, was looking into like my, my networks um, for competences that I did not have, which is especially like engineering and renewable energies, because I saw some some problems coming down or coming up down the road with the project, especially caused co- by, by electricity demands. So I uh, just addressed a close friend of mine, which I actually went to school with, who is an engineer, and he is not a surfer so that was like my first mission to do to convince a non surfer of something he has never felt and just explaining the fascinating things about surfing and about the potential i see that was already been like built up a little bit back in 2016 but not as far as it is just picking up now so yeah, that's when I extended the team. So my partner, Marvin, joined in and then ever since we took it together.
0: Okay, so there's just two of you involved in the project.
1: No, By now, it's it's lots more than that. I mean, there's been people um, coming and going. We have um, lots of internships that run around with the projects. We've been working with um, bigger firms that joined ventures and have partners in different specialized fields. So now behind the firms, there's more characters and more partners we're talking about. But the kickoff was basically between between two of us.
0: And obviously, um, a project like this requires a lot of funding. And I think you did some crowdfunding in the first, but what was your whole approach to how do you get this money? Because there might be a lot of people out there thinking, how on earth am I going to get the money to create a wave pool?
1: yeah that's true that was also one of the biggest issue we had or we faced in the beginning of the project um which came clear to our minds very very soon in the project is that something like this you can start doing from 11 at night till 3 in the morning but you're not gonna be lasting long doing it because it's very it's very intense and it's very stressful so we needed to find a possibility to um, manage to do the project in full time, and there's like a million ways to kind of fund things like that. You can do crowdfunding, you can do crowd investing. There's obviously venture capital. You can simply go to a bank and get loans. So I think there's not a right or wrong in terms of funding. It just needs to stick to to your own um, your own risk that you like to take and going into a project like this and the accessibility of capital on the market what we did was a pretty pretty good shortcut because we've been studying back then so we we've drawn academic scholarships for the for the project so basically got paid by the university to yeah go along with it
0: wow how did you do that
1: Uh, we linked our research to surfing and to the project itself so what i did is in cooperation with the German Surfing Association, um, I kind of like um, created a license to, um, well, to raise surf instructors on artificial wave technologies. So the, like, to build up a network and a framework of how people are going to be taught on wave pools, you obviously need personal that, or instructors that teach them. So I did like the, the license for those instructors on artificial wave pools. So that was my sports science address to it. And then my business administration, I did a lot of like market analysis and all that on artificial waves in general. So we linked proper yeah, academic research to the project. And then Marvin kicked in his competence with renewable energies and engineering to basically sharpen our concept and the USPs that come along with SurfEra.
0: Mm, excellent. That's a novel approach. That's great excellent stuff um so i mean it's been quite a while for you working on this project but obviously back in 2015 kelly slater had just come out with his concept um which sort of almost broke the internet on that day Snowdonia just opened in 2015 and how positive were you feeling about the wave pool industry in those days compared to now
1: um it's a very interesting question because um because i was looking into the market at that point of time already um, it was like I had, I had two different feelings on this entire thing. Like, obviously, I saw the potential also from a market analysis perspective and from an economical expected, uh, perspective. But I also saw the downsides of using, for example, fossil fuels to generate artificial waves. Yeah, but nonetheless, I mean, seeing Kelly and seeing the quality of that that, way, uh, that wave uh, just knew, okay, the, the race of artificial wave production or supplying has just begun so that was just the kickoff now it's going to be back and forwards between the different companies and snowdonia got well accepted i think they made over a hundred thousand visitors first year so there were so many so many variables coming into that potential yeah also like numbers of servers international wise so it, it all it all links up yeah and then as i mentioned the downsides I mean, sledge constructions like the Lagoon or like Kelly's, from a hydrodynamic perspective, they're just different to like wave, ocean waves because you're talking about more a convex structure than a concave structure. So it has something to do with the hydrodynamics. And then biggest issue, as I always say, energy consumption. In my, in my understanding, using the grid to produce artificial waves just kind of interferes with the nature of surfing being a nature sport. Because obviously the ocean does not need any external energy um, to produce waves so that should be at least the step we need to take in order to provide um, artificial waves.
0: Uh, so how are you going to do that mainly solar?
1: Well it depends on the location I mean for Berlin we did we did analysis with our partners from like Grimshaw Architects and from EGS Plan and from Schleichberger Partner so we develop a energy supply system that is capable of producing enough energy to run the artificial wave technology to heat the pool and the air so we're trying to drop the ecological footprint to a minimum and yes in berlin we mainly have done that through solar panels uh, but obviously it depends on the location if you're somewhere else wind might be a big factor or uh, moving waters uh, we have a we have a project interest in Norway that just addressed us, um, where like I mean, water energy is one of the biggest uh, renewables up there. So it always depends on the location which renewables you're looking into.
0: But if you think about it, you're, you're taking all this energy to create a wave, and the wave itself has got so much energy. Doesn't it make sense to try and harness some of that energy? Because a lot of there's been a lot of research and uh, technological development in in wave power, especially in the Azores. Um, so, have you thought about using that in, in your wave pool?
1: Um, you mean like um, using the already used energy and kind of like um, push it back into the system and gr- or into the grid, or or what what do you what do you mean exactly by that?
0: We're getting a wave to generate electricity itself. So once you've produced okay. the wave, yeah, yeah. it's so rolling like, down, and you can yeah, like hydro, hydro yeah.
1: Hydropower. Um, I guess at the end of the day, there are systems out there that, for example, also work with like the tights. Yeah. So if you have in pushing and out pushing water. Um, They can generate electricity. But um, obviously, a project like surf parks in general, it always needs to be um, taken multiple perspectives into consideration. So you have the ecological perspectives. And there is ways um, to to probably um, um, produce enough electricity to run 100% on renewables. No doubt about that. But that might just put an end to the business case because it's just economically... um, not not doable from an investor's side but nonetheless there's so efficient ways uh, ways out there to produce energy by by now for a a cost that is basically backed up by the business case easily yeah and you're, you're also like preventing yourself for example for um, rising electricity prices. So there's just also from an econ factor a lot going into a renewable perspective or um, direction.
0: It's uh, it's silly not to take that into account for any major development these days. But yes. Uh, yeah. So can you take me through a verbal tour of how you envisage your wave pool will be? So if we start in the car park, you know, parked the car or got off the train or (laughs) however it is, how's it going to happen?
1: Yeah, sweet. All right. I'll I'll have to do that. Well, let us arrive with a bicycle because it's the most uh, sustainable way to ride to a surfboard, right? Okay. So um, where do we start? I mean, you park your bike somewhere and it's probably going to be close to the parking, that car parking and caravan parking area. So you already see like those places being covered by like some roofing construction with the renewables like the PV or solar power on top. So you already already there get a sense of, all right, those guys, they produce energy here to run that wave. So it has like a sustainable aspect to it. And then we'll park our bike and we walk through, well, let's put it like an urban garden yeah, where, the, where you find a good vibe and a good atmosphere, people hanging around, chitty chatting. Some folks are skating. You might even find a food market going on. And then you kind of approach like the, the building structure, at least in my eyes, or get an impression on the roof construction, uh, like a dome that's opening up for you. So you see like the building modules that we are basically using like Lego kind of modules and um, arrange them around the pool. So once you enter the building, um, it kind of, kind of takes you through a nice, yeah, Uh, hallway and then once you're in the dome this entire place just opens up to you and now all of a sudden you're boom you're just in surface heaven yeah you're you're in the middle of that place to be that we're always talking about uh, because you literally arrive like on shore you can hear the waves you can see the waves so you're getting all like super excited suit up and just want to go for a paddle immediately
0: sounds thrilling i want to go for a wave right now
1: yeah, see, that's what I'm talking about.
0: <laughs> what kind of um, amenities are you going to have? Restaurant, cafe, I see co-working spaces.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've done a lot of work in our business case because the general idea was we want to make surfing accessible to everybody. So they, we need to find a way to lower the prices for the ticketing, for the surfing. So what we've done is like we've building built like, um, lots of like. Modules um, like housings around the surf pool to integrate further revenue streams and there that, exactly that's the point you're talking about. So you find restaurants, you find bars, you find wellness and spa, you find maybe accommodation. So it all, it's also linked to the, to the um, location we're talking about. But there's always side businesses going on um, that kind of like help the business case to run even smoothly.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, because for many developments that we've had a look at uh, here at WavePool Mag, the actual revenue from the surf itself is generally about 40 to 50%. It's not it's not the majority of the revenue and all the other revenue comes from side businesses. So what's the largest revenue streams you're considering?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously the Wave Pool itself, it's quite a big portion of the revenue streams, but we'll... We'll, we'll try to push it as low as possible so we're not depending on that too much because at the end of the day, the only way to make it run, even from an economic side, might be to, to like to, um, increase the pricing on surfing. And that's definitely not what we would like to do. So our idea is rather integrate more partnerships and do like eats and beats, little little like, like gigs and like a bar. And I mean, you know, when people find a place they like to go to, they also rather tend to spend some money there. Yeah? Yeah. So the side business, that's a big portion of it for sure.
0: And you got some gorgeous looking graphics here that, that, uh, that we're drilling over here at Wavepool Mag. Um, how did you feel when those things rolled off the press?
1: Well, I mean, we, we've known what's going on in the background uh, for quite a while. So for us, it was not even that big of a, wow, now where does, does this uh, illustration come from all of a sudden? So, um, I mean, there was a lot of work going into those illustrations that's been published and online. And, I mean, yes, obviously, we'll love them because we made them, And thanks you a lot that you're giving us some credits for that because it's always good <laughs> to, get a, to get a positive response that we're not the only one uh, liking it. But, yeah, the output, I mean, the illustrations you see there, they come of a, um, out of a feasibility studies we did together with three major engineering and architectural um, institutions. Uh, Grimshaw Architects from London, um, Schleichbergermann Partner from Germany, which are specialists on like roofing constructions and EGS plans from Germany. So it's quite a, Quite a big team already that's that's been working on this, and obviously the illustrations are the the general output at the end of the day.
0: Mm-hmm. So it sounds like um, you're almost ready to open. What's it going to take to get to opening day from here, and what are the major milestones ahead of you?
1: Mm, yeah, I guess we're pretty well doing pretty well until now. I mean, we got all the major things together already. I mean, concept check, investor check, land check i mean we're talking about five potential locations where we uh, might be able to position the project so now it's all about um, the um, well in germany it's pretty pretty restricted construction and, and building process going on so we're pushing that process on all locations at the moment and see okay at the end of the day what's going to be the best uh, the best pick for the surf error concept
0: mm. Yeah, that is a very challenging thing, the land side of things. It's really it is. Is. And often, often it's the first thing that people do is focus on the land first and then, and then tick all the other boxes. But obviously yours is a little bit different, right?
1: Yeah, we've done a completely different way because, um, I mean, w- once we started this project, it was just basically two, two visionary guys having a good idea and different approach to it. But, I mean, if I push an email to some project developer and ask him for 100 million euros... Uh, back in 2016, I mean, I wonder if I've ever ever had a chance to um, get a response. So what we did is we put our heads together and came up with the concept and then sharpened the concept. And whenever this was done and did the feasibility on it, on it and were able to say, all right, it's possible. That's what it costs. That's the revenue streams that come along with this. And now we're approaching investors and now all of a sudden we had some, some ears that were like tilted towards our directions. Mm -hmm.
0: So obviously in those feasibility studies, you analyzed wave tech and that's a highly volatile market right now. So which wave tech have you chosen? And uh, have you thought about any of the newcomers?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, artificial wave um, industry, it's just extremely dynamic at the moment. Um, Long story short, final decision on the tech, has not been made yet. Obviously, we've been talking to WaveGarden the longest because once once we started the project, um, there was not much alternatives to it, but by now we're talking to all the, um, yeah, basically well-known suppliers out there. We've been talking to SurfLog, to SurfLakes, to WaveGarden, to American Wave Machines. We actually also talked to Kelly. So I think uh, we, got, we got all the, the interesting ones up on the radar and at the end of the day, final final tech decision highly depends on the land plot we are going to, because they all come in different sizes. So, for instance, uh, we might just be not able to fit surf lakes at that one destination, but at the other, uh, and vice versa. Yeah. So yeah, I'll, I'll let's just put it this way. I'll keep you in the loop on the final decision. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that'd be great, because uh, Whitewater's just popped up and, and nabbed Paris from Wavegarden, which was quite yeah. an astounding move. Have you spoken to those guys?
1: Yeah, we've spoken to Endless Earth already. They got um, a contact in Germany that's been talking to us quite frequently lately. So it's a very promising looking technology. And I mean, Whitewater is just, I mean, they're a market leader in um, basically uh, water park attractions. So they, they know their stuff for sure. So I have no doubt that at the end of the day, it will be a fantastic looking um, technology, especially under the terms that they've done artificial wave pools that work for surfing, but weren't initially done for surfing. Uh, like, for example, Siam Park uh, in um, oh, Tenerife. Yeah, so there's there's lots of stuff going on there. So yeah, and let's surf also talking just like the others, and then we'll get all the informations, and we are all uh, keeping them always in the loop, and um, they're clear and we're transparent about the ongoing process, and then obviously we see surf er- we see surf era as a company um, being being able to realize more than one surf. Surf park. I mean, destination Berlin, as I said, depends on the land and then the technology decision will be made. But as I said, our USPs, especially with this energy demand systems, all that, I mean, I'll see other surf parks popping up um, somewhere else on the globe where there's just a different possibility to integrate a different technology just because it fits that location better than another.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think um, Whitewater is quite interesting because they don't actually. I mean, I know they produced Typhoon Lagoon in Disney way back, uh, what twenty-five years ago, or maybe more. And but they don't actually have a, a new generation wave park up or wave pool already. So that might factor into a lot of people's decisions about whether to use them or not.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, let's be honest. I mean, lots of lots of the suppliers have working prototypes out there already, even if they might be small, like scaled in a small way. You'll see what they're able, uh, what they are capable of doing. But nonetheless, I mean, American Wave Machines has a park that's been opened to to the public and WaveGuard. Garden. Yeah, um, all the others still need to need to do that step. So for an investor, it's also like a big, um, yeah, a, a big decision to make, even to back up a technology wishes we have, for example, because. If we, for example, go with I don't know who, um, they might might just have no operating um, surf park at the moment. They've shown they know what they do with the prototype. But if the technology is accepted from a customer view, it has not been proved yet. So that's a big advantage of the ones that are in that market for a longer time already because obviously they're in a time advantage um, towards the others.
0: Yeah. And obviously Bristol and uh, Melbourne being open really help WaveGarden's case because they've got, you know, currently operating models. Although COVID-19 has obviously put a bit of a damper on that.
1: Oh, it is. Yeah. It was a, it was a pity, but luckily they all made it
0: yes let's hope they they stay in business i'm sure they will i think they're both very solid businesses so but talking about bristol nick Hounsfield from bristol related his story about his biggest challenge when the bristol land almost fell through what's been your biggest challenge to date
1: (laughs) well i'm totally with nick on that i mean um let's face it a project like this has troubles all the way from point a to point z you will be having troubles no doubt about that but land is a major thing because um, you need to get your hands on as soon as possible on land, um, but a final decision you want to be making at the latest point of time possible. But this just this just does not work out <laughs> so good in real life. So land is it's quite a quite a rough topic. Yeah? So we've we've made this experience um, ourselves multiple times. We've screened I don't know like a hundred a hundred potential land plots, and then we'll kind of like. Um, yeah, we got down to five. Yeah, so that's that's how much work you need to put into um, trying to get a surf park to one location.
0: Absolutely, it's challenging stuff. So let's do let's talk a little bit more about the surfing uh, environment. Completely, Is, let's do the stats. How many surfers do you think there are in the world, in Europe, and in Germany?
1: <laughs> Very good question, because that's always like a, a initial question from an investor's side. And to be honest. Um, I'll say never trust the statistics. You didn't fake yourself, uh, so if you do research <laughs> on that, uh, if you do research on that, you'll find from single million um, yeah surfers in the world to up to 35 million. Yeah, so um, it's it's a lot. I mean, it's it's a lot um, considering the where surfing comes from. Yeah. Nonetheless, I think um, none of those statistics can be like 100% proven from a research perspective. But it gives you a good understanding of how the market is at the moment and where it is developing. So let's just, for instance, take um, those typical numbers you find out there, which put down the worldwide um, several um, numbers somewhere in between 23 to 35 million. Yeah. If you split this number down to Germany, You end up with um, 420,000, if I'm correct at the moment, Um, which is not enough to run a surf park. So there is actually just in need of extending the side businesses to run a healthy business
0: okay because there's what about three and a half million people in berlin and many of them are most of them are non-surfers and even non-swimmers so how will you convert them
1: yeah so berlin is pretty interesting because obviously it's a metropolitan area and it's like internationally also just like voice visit so you're talking about um, 5.5 million inhabitants in that metropo- metropolitan area that are, one way or the other, are potential clients because they might just use the opportunity to take a little break out of their stressy capital and city life and just want to have like some other pictures to look at, and they might just visit a surf park and not be not even hopping on a surfboard but just drinking a cold little German beer or whatever, or a Mai Tai or a cappuccino, who knows? So it's just like a breakout. And if you take those 5.5 million into consideration, um, I have no doubt that you're looking at 500,000-plus visitors a, a year if you are able to put a surf park somewhere close to the city. Uh, not not forgetting about an additional 13 million tourists that just come in every year oh, and are looking excellent. for free-time activities.
0: Well, well with those, that amount of people coming in and that amount of people living there, don't you think Berlin could sustain more than one pool?
1: Um, well, I think like the capacity of surf pools is higher than um, the visitor rates we are actually calculating with at the moment. So when I'm talking about 500,000 visitors for now, it's not the capacity limit of the wave pool or of the facility itself. Um, To be honest, I think at this moment of time, Germany is probably able to fit four surf parks. And if you've done your homework right, you'll already see projects being um, up on the radar for the north, east, south, and west of the country.
0: Yeah, there's what, surf deck in the north. Huh?
1: Exactly. They made some major steps forward lately. It's incredible to see, and I'm very happy for the guys.
0: Yeah, that's great, because they signed with Wavegarden Garden in January this year. We just ran a, an article on that. What yes. about in the south? Who's doing who's doing stuff in the south?
1: Yeah, there's an initiative in, in like the Bavarian area that's been on to the surf park topic already longer than we are. Um, but same with, with Nick and also with other little bit, um, land is an issue because there's so many construction rights you, you need to be aware of and you need to fit them within your concept. And it might just be a failure somewhere very, very far into the project. So um, I, I just can't give too many details at the moment about the status uh, down south because, yeah, I just... I just do not want to do that. Uh, yeah, and that's then, fair enough. We've got to respect yeah. the
0: privacy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because that's, that's another question. Is like, when do you go public with a project like this? And when do you start getting onto podcasts and, uh, and putting out Facebook pages?
1: Yeah, I mean, in our case, we went public with a dream and then the dream got more more real over time. Um, up north, the surf deck um, with uh, Jan Podbilski, um, they did a completely different approach. I mean, they got the land, they got the little concept in between. Um, they signed a deal with WaveGarden and then they published. I think there's also no rights and wrongs. It always depends on the, on your backgrounds. I mean, those guys, those are project developers. That's their core business. They, they know their stuff um, due to construction rights and all that. And that's probably also the case why they've done this so quick. Yeah. And we'll see. Maybe they need a nice little uh, nitty-gritty concept for their surf park up north. Yeah, yeah because then, you are offering well, <laughs> this to other people. You,
0: uh, is Surf Era acting as a consultant as well as an operator?
1: Well, we're trying to um, basically expand our business services as well because by now um, we think that we, we, we pretty much have a good idea of the potential and of the numbers. And, yeah, we just know our stuff and obviously, if there's a lot of competence um, under one roof, why wouldn't you share it? Yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely, makes a lot of sense. But uh, one last question about um, surfing and you know general marketing: uh, How do you think the Olympics in now 2021? Um, obviously, it's the first time for surfing being included in the Olympics. What kind of real impact do you feel it'll bring to the sport?
1: Wow. I think the Olympic Games, I mean, when the International Olympic Committee announced surfing being an Olympic sport back in 2016, I can still remember like, my interior reaction to it. I was like, whoa, this is just the biggest exhilarator someone could have imagined. Because it's a sports political reaction to a public demand. That's all it is at the end of the day. So I think it's a extremely important exhilarator for the entire industry. And I mean, if you look into the, into the statistics, you already see assumptions. All right, um, the general growth factor just being caused by surfing being Olympic sports um, will double the amount of surfers, will double the amount of revenues, will double the amount of companies that are um, working in those fields. So it is definitely a huge impact factor. Yeah, but as I already mentioned, downsides affect it. Yeah, I mean. Look at the lineups at the moment. It's already pretty crowded. Yeah, So we actually do need solutions. And there are solutions out there in terms of artificial wave productions and in terms of surf parks. But do we really want to carry out those solutions for the demands of waves on the back of nature? In my, in my opinion, we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't just plug, plug in a technology into the grid and produce waves. So we need to come up with with cooler with um, more ecological solutions to that problem
0: do you think artificial reefs are a solution to that
1: yeah i mean weber's doing some some stuff on that um yeah i mean uh the it's it's quite weird if we say the capacities of the ocean is on a limit already because obviously 75 percent of the earth is weight of is made of water it's just it's it's just hard to believe but it is fact. I mean, I can remember going down south to Portugal 10 years ago. I was surfing uh, between New Year's Eve and uh, January uh, with like two guys out. And now it's like 200s. Yeah? So I yeah. think if we get the chance to do artificial reefs, that might be a big, major um, step forward as well. Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, obviously, a lot of ecological, environmental question marks there. and uh, Oh, yeah, for sure. With nature. Uh, but uh, yeah. maybe it could outweigh the the energy requirements of, of you know thousands of wave pools around the world
1: yeah it's it's definitely it's definitely a core i mean all the all the different solutions have pros and cons i mean let's just not forget that uh, this world had major good surf spots that've been just bombed away for real estate hotel complexes which is uh, just like super sad in my opinion yeah but yeah. i mean yeah we need we need to come up with the solutions and we always need to come up with the best solutions possible in terms of ecological aspects i think
0: well, i feel like the whole wave pool industry is really working hard on, on getting some solutions out there but uh, and and your berlin park is is one of them so all the best for you and good luck eric thanks so much for chatting to us
1: thanks nick i was a Pleasure to talk to you. And as I said, we'll keep you in the loop and um, we'll give you updates on whenever we were going to be able to surf Berlin.
0: So a big thanks to Eric from Surf Era in Berlin for telling us all about his project. Now, if you have a project that you're dying to air the news about, just let us know and give us a call. Um, Email me nick.wavepoolmag at gmail.com and we can look at your project and see whether we want to interview you and learn all about it because there are so many projects around the world these days that are gaining um, you know they're just gaining ground but there are a lot of projects out there which we don't actually have on our map because we've got an amazing map if you haven't checked it out you can check it out on wavepoolmag.com and it's a map of all the surf pools and surf pool projects that we know of in the world today but there are a lot there that are under construction that haven't actually popped their bubble um, regarding news media So um, if you know of any, let us know. We'd love to hear all about it. Thanks for listening once again, and we'll see you next week. So stoked to be back on board. This is amazing. Season two, really pumped. So I hope you are too. And tell your friends, let's listen up to some more episodes in the future. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week. Actually, we're doing this every two weeks for now, but who knows. All right, catch you later. Thanks a lot
1: for your curiosity and stoke.